What's up, everyone, and welcome to Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and this is the podcast where we'll talk about all things fitness, wellness, rehab, and more importantly, the constant pursuit of knowing better in order to do better for the people that we serve. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mike Check. I'm your host, Mike Velasquez, and after a brief hiatus, I'm excited to be joined once again by Kitchen to Kilos founder, Jessica Gilmore, who first joined me on episode five. So um, we definitely had an awesome conversation on that first episode that she joined me on. So I definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode if you haven't already. Uh, But Jessica, welcome back. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Um, So for those that didn't listen to the first episode, if they don't decide to go back right away and listen to episode five, if you don't mind, maybe we'll start off with just a quick kind of highlight on your background information, just so that people can uh, get a quick synopsis of that. Um, Sure. As you mentioned, um, I founded Kitchen Aquilos, which is my nutrition company. Um, but before that I was a CrossFit coach. I have my CrossFit level one and level two. I also have my USAW sports performance coach, um, as a coach and compete as an Olympic weightlifter. Uh, and as far as nutrition goes, I have my precision nutrition certification and my working against gravity certification. And then, um, excitingly enough, I just started a new uh, certification through what's called Totten Training, and I will be doing a year-long mentorship and certification um, on just general strength and conditioning coaching, but specializing in weightlifting. So that'll be nice to add to the list soon. I think it'll be valuable. Yeah, I think that'll be a really cool learning experience, and I look forward to hearing about uh, your times going through that. So we'll definitely have to talk about that in the future as well. Um, but as you alluded to, you know, besides from being, you know, CrossFit coach, weightlifting coach, um, you know, you personally are my nutrition coach and I know that you're kind of my go-to person, uh, whenever I have any questions and need some help on that. Um, just because, you know, I know some, I have a general background and, you know, knowledge base from there, but definitely, uh, when it comes to the, um, you know, a little bit more intricate details on things, I definitely, uh, send that over to you whenever I need some help there. So I definitely appreciate your help. And uh, I know last time we talked about a a lot of different things, kind of your experience with PT, just how you've changed as, as a coach, you know, not only, um, you know, with CrossFit, but also just as a nutrition coach. And we talked a lot about behavior change as well, which was great. So again, definitely recommend going and checking out that previous episode for sure. Um, one of the things that we didn't get to touch on ironically enough, um, was how diets actually work. So I think maybe we'll start off with just kind of, I'm sure this will go down, you know, we can chat about this for a little while, but, uh, you know, for people that, you know, generally wonder, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of different diets around. So people that kind of read and hear a whole lot of different things, how do they just work in general? Um, so that's a really great, great question because it gets blown way out of proportion and uh, particularly people in my field like to make it a lot more complicated than it actually is because um, it's job security, right? So one thing that people kind of skip over is at the end of the day, uh, except in very few cases in very rare situations, 
Uh, a diet works by calories in versus calories out. So it's taking care of making sure your calorie expenditure is uh, higher than your calorie intake. So as long as you are burning more energy than you're taking in, you will lose weight. Um, it's pretty much the the short and sweet of it. Uh, as much as it gets blown up and to you know all these different diets we have today, it always comes back to making sure that you're enough energy. Uh, outweigh the amount of energy you're taking in. Um, and one thing to think about with that is just how much energy are you expending? So when I say energy expenditure, um, I don't just mean how much exercise you're doing. There's a lot that goes into your total daily energy expenditure, right? That's your basal metabolic rate, which not to get too sciencey on you is basically if you laid in bed all day, how many calories would you burn just to keep your body functioning and keep yourself alive. Um, so that basic me basal metabolic rate accounts for most of your caloric burn throughout the day. Um, then you have your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and that's just the little stuff you do, like walking, you know, if you park a little bit further away from the grocery store and you've got to walk in, or you walk up and down the stairs to work, or you walk to the train. Um, and that's also some funny stuff for like, you know, People with certain body types tend to find they have, we call this NEAT for short, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. People with certain body types tend to find that they uh, do this in other ways. You know, if you ever saw somebody who sits at a table and shakes their legs under the table really quickly, um, they can't sit still or they're always bouncing their their knee or they're kind of just always fidgeting. That's also uh, accounts for this NEAT. Um, and some people burn it, you know, a little bit more than others. You see very fidgety people. These people tend to be uh, people who burn through carbohydrates a little bit faster. They give off a lot of body heat, but they also fidget a lot. Um, so that's one of, you know, an example of that kind of stuff. It's not a huge um, accountant for your total daily expenditure, but it does account. I know a lot of people saw weight gain during uh, quarantine because their NEAT was down. So people were sitting at home on Zoom as opposed to, you know, for me, for example, I'm walk probably 13,000 steps a day coaching uh, during quarantine. I was maybe hitting 4,000, um, which definitely impacted my energy expenditure throughout the day. Um, so, so far we've got basal metabolic rate, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. The next part that makes up your daily expenditure is your thermic effect of food. So that's how many, that's, you know, easily put, that's how many calories it takes to digest the food you're eating. Um, and certain food types have a higher thermic effect than others, particularly protein, um, is found to have a very high thermic effect. So it takes more calories for your body to break down protein than other types of food. Um, and then lastly is the one that we really all always think of is that exercise activity. So you have to add those four things together to figure out your daily expenditure. Uh, and then once we have that daily expenditure, we want to make sure you're eating less than what you're expending. And that ideally leads to your weight loss. Yes. I think, you know, the way you broke it down was, was very helpful there. And I think definitely it's simple, but you know, you know, complex at the same time, but definitely gets, I think, way overcomplicated, um, you know, way more than it needs to be, um, especially for a lot of the general population that may not have, you know, an idea of, you know, what basal metabolic rate is and, and how to, you know, find these numbers for themselves. Um, and that's probably, you know, why you can 
talk to like a nutrition coach like yourself or a dietitian or something like that, they can at least help you figure out, um, you know, what that number, what amount of energy you should take in or as far as food um, so that we kind of know if our goal is to lose weight, let's say, you know, then kind of what I need to do activity wise or, you know, just to give me an idea of, of how much I should be eating, I guess, um, because it really comes back down to that kind of main thing is that that's what you're saying. Yeah. And absolutely. And I, and I mean, is there's, you know, there's, like you said, a, there's a little bit more complication in that, that it's just, it's not like a quick equation, right? We can't just plug everything in and know exactly how many calories you burn as, you know, a 30 year old male doing this activity, because there's also all these individual aspects to it. There's, you know, hormone fluctuations, there's body types. Um, I, brushed on it really quickly, but some people have find that they have a lot more neat than other people. And some of that ties back to with like their insulin tolerance and, um, you know, their, their body type, we've got the ectomorph mesomorph. We could get really into detail with all these people, but they just kind of go burn through certain nutrients faster, but these things also impact their total daily expenditure. So it's not as simple as just saying, you know, this age person of this sex does this activity. So this person, they will burn this many calories. It, it kind of depends on a lot of things. And um, even for a nutrition coach um, doing that, you know, I, I do one time macro calculations, but they're not my favorite thing to do because it takes some, some playing around with numbers usually to find what works for you really well, so much that so you can sustain enough energy to do the things you want to do, but you're all enough to lose weight if that's your goal. So there is, you know, complication to it uh, in finding what that number is and what your total daily expenditure is. That's not uh, black and white for everyone, but for the most part, at the end of the day, it still comes back to, like I said, you've got to burn more than you eat. So that's the simple part. The hard part is kind of figuring out how much you do expend and then figuring out a way to to limit your caloric intake to be less than that. Yeah. So once you kind of, you know, say like someone was looking to get started on, you know, a diet, whether that was to, to lose weight or to gain weight even, or, or even maintain, you know, would you recommend someone kind of figure out just how much they're eating before any sort of intervention first, or how would someone go about kind of getting started with that process? So for me in particular, I have, pretty extensive intake form that I have developed over the years. And it started off fairly short and it's now a, a five page interviewing process um, because I've learned how many things impact um, what people are eating and what they want to eat and how they're going to lose weight and how they're going to respond to me. Uh, and one of the big things is that for the most part, when people come, they often tell me that they have been eating in a caloric deficit. It just doesn't work. They don't lose weight. Um, and what I found and what studies and data have shown over, you know, the last couple of years that I've been really learning about this is that people aren't eating what they think they're eating. So for the most part, um, people underreport their caloric intake by 30 to 50%. So that's a huge number. If you think about it at the end of the day, uh, think if your caloric intake, if you estimate you eat 2000 calories a day and you underreport. By 50%, right? That's an extra thousand calories that you're consuming during and you're not accounting for. Um, and then on top of that, people over report their activity by almost 50%, which is another huge number. 
And it happens to all of us, you know, um, obese individuals, particularly women were shown in studies to underreport by up to 70%, which is even more than what I just listed above for, for most individuals, but even really lean men who are focused on tracking their intake underreported by 20%. Um, and just to, you know, I, I wanted to mention to throw it in there to show that nobody's kind of uh, immune to this. Even dietitians underreported their intake by an average of 200 calories a day. Um, so that's little things like, you know, especially parents, um, if they're making their children something and they lick the knife or they lick the spoon or you chew gum um, or, you know, it could be a whole host of things. Or you, you measure something with a tablespoon rather than weigh it out. Um, particularly peanut butter is everybody's favorite example of that. Um, how miserable it is to find out how much as actually two tablespoons of peanut butter when you weigh out the 32 grams versus actually scoop out two tablespoons of peanut butter. Um, so this is the biggest thing is when people come, I actually usually ask them to take me through a day of eating so I can get an idea of where things go off track for them. Um, and when people send me their intake, you know, a lot of times some pe people send me beautiful, beautiful days, what looks like they would be in a, a very big caloric deficit. So for me, the trick is finding where is that underreporting happening for them? Um, where are they either estimating something that's not completely right? Where are they not reporting something because they have a certain feeling about it? It's usually, usually the case may be that they feel shame uh, around something that they're doing that they don't want to admit to. And like I said, nobody's immune to that. I have the same thing when I report to my nutrition coach. Um, there's times when I'm like, oh, I'm just not going to put this on my diary because I really wasn't supposed to have that. So I'm just going to leave it off. If I don't write it down, it never happened. Unfortunately, when it comes to burning your calories and tracking your calories and intake versus outtake, it, it did happen. So just not writing it down doesn't magically make it disappear. So this is kind of the big thing we have to, to get around when people think that caloric deficits don't work, it's usually a sign that they're under-reporting their caloric intake and they're over-reporting their activity. And that's not an easy obstacle to overcome as a coach or as a client. Yeah, I definitely think even, I mean, even, you know, as far as like over-reporting and under-reporting, you know, I kind of run into that in some of the physical therapy research as well, mm -hmm. especially when a lot of physical activity is, usually measured by um, questionnaires. So people will usually over-report how much physical activity they're actually doing. Um, so again, not always the most accurate uh, way of reporting things. So, you know, I think being able to, you know, it's a very, you know, as you alluded to, it's a very sad day when you realize what 32 grams of peanut butter actually looks like. And it, it's, you know, the tablespoon isn't just the actual tablespoon that you have, um, in your drawer there, but there's like the actual measuring spoon, tablespoon, uh, very big difference between the two. Um, you know, if you, if you haven't, and you're, and you're listening, I, I challenge you to just take a spoon. And if you have a scale, take a scoop of what you think 32 <laughs> grams of, or two tablespoons of peanut butter looks like, and then see what the actual number is on the scale. Um, and if you nail it, then props to you, because I definitely, I can, get pretty close now. Um, but it's because I've actually measured it out, um, fairly decent amount of times these days, but the first time very, very sad. Um, <laughs> but like you said, it's easy to under report that, you know, but by 50%, like, especially with something like 
peanut butter, I had a very bad habit of taking spoonfuls out of the jar. And that's, you know, especially with the amount of fat in, in peanut butter, that's uh, an easy way to, I, I can totally see that happening. Um, so do you recommend, you know, if people like were to start, like, do you have like a, a, an app that you recommend that they do, or do they just write it down? Like, do you have suggestions for people typically like when they're um, maybe tracking how much they're eating or? Um, yeah, so absolutely. So I have a couple different approaches kind of depending on the person as they come to me and their goals, I approach it a couple different ways. So if I'm going to just have somebody that, you know, one thing I say is tracking or trying to lose weight without counting calories or tracking calories is like trying to drive from New York to California without following a roadmap. You're just kind of going and hoping for the best. So, um, when I tell, want people to track calories, I give them a lot of flexibility to do it however they want. I like my clients to be in my fitness pal because I can log in and look at their journal. Um, it's fairly easy for the most part. Most food is already in there. So you can just scan a barcode. Although as I'm sure you have experienced multiple times and I tell my clients, once you scan the barcode, compare what comes up to what is in the app or, you know, back of the package that you're eating uh, because that's not, not always, doesn't always match up. People can put anything they want in my fitness pal, but that's still one of my favorite apps. Some people I know prefer to write it down. Some people have their own apps that they like to use as far as macro tracking. Um, and I don't really have a problem with any type of tracking as long as you're doing it at the end of the day. Now, with that said, I do have clients who come in who've never used a food scale, who've never used macro tracking, who've never used any of these things before. And I'm not just going to throw the whole book at them and say, here we go, weigh all your food, track it all, and let's do this because they're going to be overwhelmed and that's setting them up for failure. Um, so those kind of people, when they come in, I don't always set them up on an app right away. I might just be like, you know, for the first week, let's set some goals. So our first goal might be, let's have protein in every meal, or let's have veggies in every meal. Let's weigh your veggies. Let's just weigh your veggies and make sure you're getting 800 grams a day. Um, or let's just weigh your protein and make sure you're getting at least three ounces per meal. Uh, and those kind of people will start out like that, right? We'll dip our toes in, start weighing food. We'll start getting used to the idea of tracking. At the end of the day, they've tracked their veggies or they've tracked their protein. Uh, and then we can re slowly introduce more things uh, to that tracking. But yeah, what eventually why I'd like to get on onto my fitness pal and depending on their goals, you know, get into the point where like you are now they're tracking kind of every single thing they eat, uh, to the best of their ability. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of times people can, you know, be, it, it is kind of overwhelming to start like weighing things and people, you know, saying, Oh man, like that's going to take too much time, but really once you get the hang of it, it kind of, you know, it doesn't take very long to, to weigh things out. And I always talk to people cause people always, you know, either see me kind of whip a scale out and weigh something down. And then, you know, they're, you know, asking me why I'm weighing things and, and things like that. And I always kind of bring up the analogy of, you know, especially for people that do work out and I'm like, well, you know, you track your sets, reps, weight of your training, but you know, how, why, why is it like so much different when we do that with our food? Like, how am I supposed to know if what I'm doing is working, if I'm not tracking that and being, you know, scientific with that in some way, um, you know, otherwise I'm just, I'm just guessing. Um, so I think that sometimes, you know, people are like, oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. But for me, that was just like, you know, we track a lot of things, you know, not even just like training, but like 
you know, finances and things like that. People have Excel sheets going through their bills and all that things, making, again, kind of making sure that, you know, money, it's money in versus money out, kind of the same idea. Um, you know, so I think that once people kind of understand that it's just, you know, something that we can use to kind of get a better baseline for what we need to do, if we have a specific goal that we're after, um, then it makes a lot more sense to people. But, you know, I, I like the way that you kind of said that it's very person dependent and kind of, you know, using the the intake form that you have, you kind of figure out where to, you know, dip your toes in with that person. And I actually really like the analogy you just brought up because there is such a stigma attached to putting your food on a scale um, or tracking your calories in. And I have a lot of clients who hide it because they feel like people will think they're neurotic. Um, so they won't whip out their scale. I know you know me. I'll whip out my scale at Sweet Frog and make sure I've got exactly four ounces of frozen yogurt in my cup. Um, and I have no shame around it now. But I know a lot of my clients don't want to be seen with their scale in public or when they're visiting family because there's that kind of stigma around it. And we've gotten to the point, especially in our country, where portion sizes are just so uh, overwhelmingly incorrect um, for our, our bodies that we have, we have to bring it back to weighing and tracking everything because otherwise you don't really have a sense. And most of my clients, I hope at some point to graduate them to, you know, a week here or a month here without tracking because they become, it becomes so much part of their intuition that, you know, I can very quickly look at a piece of chicken and know how much to cut off to have three ounces at this point. Um, I still track everything, but if I were to go on vacation, I'd feel very comfortable going through a day because I've been tracking for so long, but it really does take dialing in that precisely. I think to get to the point for a long time where you feel comfortable doing that. And even if I do that, it's only for, you know, five days or so. And then I'm right back on my app, getting it back dialed in again. Um, but I, I like how you pointed that out because it's acceptable to track a lot of things, but there's still kind of stigma around tracking our food and feeling like people are, are weight obsessive. But um, I think it's really important for us to kind of get a grasp again on what is an appropriate amount of food for us to intake in as fuel for, for our body, but not overindulge to the point where we've kind of gotten as a culture at this point. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Um, and this is probably something that we can, you know, touch on a little bit later, but, um, as we kind of maybe transition into kind of the differences between some of the kind of, you know, I guess, bigger name diets, I guess, if you want to call them that, um, but kind of the idea of, you know, flexible dieting in a way of, you know, you can be totally kind of anal about it and try to hit, you know, triple zeros every day of your life, or you can kind of understand that you're not really being flexible if, if that's kind of what you're doing at the end of every day. And you're, you know, having to, you know, weigh every little gram of everything. And then you know, there might come a point where again, it's very person dependent. If you have a very specific goal, like you're in a, a, you know, a sport where you have to weigh in and you have to make a certain weight, then that, yeah, that becomes important. But, you know, if it's just someone that's looking to, you know, just overall change, you know, their health and, you know, try to lose some weight, you know, I don't think it has to become, um, you know, that obsessive because that's not, you know, flexible again, kind of at the end of the day. Um, but, we can definitely touch that. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Yeah, um, cause yeah. I definitely want to talk about that some more. Um, okay. but before we get into that, so 
people are, you know, come to you and they ask, you know, what are your thoughts on keto or should I do intermittent fasting? Should I do paleo? You know, for anyone that started CrossFit ever, you know, I'm sure you were mm-hmm. kind of given the whole paleo spiel. So, you know, what's kind of the, the diff, you know, what are the differences between those are, is one better than the other? Um, or does it again, just come back down to that calories in calories out? Um, so I, you know, I've had a lot of definitely interest in these fad diets. I've had plenty of CrossFitters come to me who are on paleo. I've had lots of people ask about keto. Um, another one's intermittent fasting. So these, you know, these diets come and go. We've had in the past Atkins and, and other ones like that. And, um, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of claims around these diets and a lot of studies, um, but what keeps coming up from the data is that the only thing that these diets do that's effective is they restrict your calorie intake. So whether you want to restrict it um, through keto by restricting your carbohydrate intake, or you want to restrict it through intermittent fasting by restricting how many hours of the day you can eat, um, it all doesn't matter. It comes back down to the same thing. The diets work because you're restricting calorie intake. And um, one of the things, you know, we talked about is that data shows that when calories and proteins, protein intake is kept the same, weight loss was really similar across different groups, regardless of their carbohydrate and fat intake. So when I have somebody who's really burned out and tracking macros, or even I myself, I'm, I'm really burned out. One thing I say always is, okay, track your calories uh, and track your protein. And then just let your carbs and fats fill in how they want. And for the most part, you're not going to see a huge difference in difference in weight. Um, now, like you, we've said a couple times, that's really dependent person to person. And if I've got a very competitive athlete, I might not say that because they're going to notice a difference in their energy. They're going to notice a difference in their, um, you know, their burst speed. They're going to notice a difference in how they feel, their strength um, when they, you know, don't get enough carbohydrates to recover between sessions. But for the most of us who are just trying to be fit and hit a certain weight or feel good in our bodies, it comes down to how much protein we're eating and are we restricting our calories enough. Um, so those that keto and that intermittent fasting and paleo all, all really comes down to the same thing. It's just different ways to restrict your diets. And admittedly, um, there's been points when I've been very against uh, the ketogenic diet. And if you don't know much about the ketogenic diet, it's basically this approach where you turn your fat into your energy supplying nutrient as opposed to carbohydrates. So you, you limit your carbohydrates so much that your liver starts making ketones and that becomes your energy source as opposed to carbohydrates. And you can test whether you're in ketosis through your breath, your blood, urine. And the idea is that as long as you're in ketosis, you're doing these things um, that will utilize these fat as your energy source. And then studies came out that said you can switch back and forth between ketosis and not being in ketosis if you become proficient at it. Um, and then, you know, there's studies that came out that showed this and that. And that keto has been going kind of around in circles. And there's a lot of things coming out about it. But um it's looking like from, from most data that at the end of the day, it's really just a way to restrict your calories. It's just another form of restricting your calories. And while I would never recommend it for 
um, a weightlifter, for example, or a CrossFit athlete who really has to focus on short bursts of energy, you know, like a six minute AMRAP or, you know, one and a half second lift. Um, I do think now as I've kind of progressed, keto does have its time and place because really the end of the day, the only diet that works is one you can adhere to. Um, one that is long-term, uh, you know, sustainable for you. So this is different from each person. So if I'm having a person, you know, right now I have a client who really hasn't found success on a traditional diet. And when I say traditional, I mean closer to the 40% carbohydrates, 30% protein and 30% fat that a lot of us really find success on. And she's not finding success there. So we played around with it and what I, I switched her over to keto because I was thinking that she was really underestimating the amount of fat that she was intaking during a day. And when, you know, we switched her to keto and she lost 20 pounds. Do I think she went into ketosis and started doing all these magical things? No, I think she was able to more accurately uh, record her calorie intake. I think she had more flexibility. Um, I think keto offers a little bit more flexibility in going to things like restaurants because you can order something like a chicken Caesar salad, which is usually loaded with fat. Um, you know, but she, she could identify the carbs really easily. Okay. Croutons, those got to go. I can't have any carbohydrates. Um, and it made it easier for her, her to stick to this diet to make estimates and to report more accurately how much she's taking in. So I don't think anything magical happened on keto, but I do think it ended up being effective for her because it helped her limit her caloric intake. Will it be something that she can keep over the long term? We'll have to kind of see. It may be that we have to take her out of keto and put her on a more traditional diet later on because she doesn't want to continue limiting her carbohydrates in that way. But basically that was a long-winded way of saying the diet works if it limits your caloric intake and you can be on that diet for the long, the long haul. Yeah. I think you just touched on, you know, a very important point right there, which is basically the sustainability of the, the diet again, kind of adherence really just driving goals. Again, in my world of physical therapy, just, you know, our ability to adhere to kind of a, a plan of care and, you know, recommendations and kind of, you know, goals that we're setting together. And, you know, if we're modifying some training or anything like that, kind of being able to adhere and figure out that just allows you to figure out if something's working or not. Um, and, you know, that allows you to kind of play with variables a little bit longer and find out what's working, what's not working. Um, you know, in my, I've played with a lot of different things, you know, over the course of a lot of different years. So I've, I've done paleo, I've done zone, um, I try, you know, I don't know that I really ever went hardcore keto. Um, but if anything, like even when I was like in college and I tried to eat, you know, clean, um, you know, I would just try to eat, you know, just chicken, broccoli, like mm -hmm. all week, but then like I would go nuts and like, maybe I would be like good two weeks or something like that. But then I'd end up ordering a large pizza and then I'd hit up Dairy Queen and I would just <laughs> stuff my face. So really at the end of the day, where was I getting? nowhere probably because it wasn't sustainable yeah like I was eating really you know quote-unquote clean for a little bit but then I would just blow up because I was driving myself insane um so you know I think the fact that you know finding something that that works for you and is maintainable um and that's why you know for me like tracking you know macros and you know flexible dieting if you want to call it that for me that's been what's worked the best for me because it, it's kind of 
allowed me to have certain things that I've, that I want, you know, if there's a day where I just really want a donut, I just make sure that I kind of calculate that in. And then I, you know, adjust my day's plans around that. Um, but I, I don't have that donut and then I'm not guilty for the rest of the day. Um, you know, I can just have that and be like, okay, I'm good. And, you know, in the past I would have, you know, that might've led me down a spiral. I'm like, all right, well, I had one donut. might as well, who cares? The, re- the whole day's ruined. I'm just going to eat, you know, whatever the rest of the day. Um, and then dig myself a bigger hole. Um, have you kind of, do you feel like that's something that's common for a lot of people as well? Or so, yeah, so that actually has a term it's called snowballing. Um, and obviously you can envision a snowball, right? As it rolls down a hill, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And people do this to themselves. Um, and they do it in kind of two ways of which you both just touched on. The first way is being extremely restrictive, um, during the week. It's usually during the week and the, the weekend, kind of like you touched on, um, people are really restrictive for Monday through Friday and they, have been uh, really on target, eating clean, probably eating in a huge caloric deficit, um, feeling tired, feeling overwhelmed. Uh, and then they come to Saturday and Sunday and a couple things happen on Saturday and Sunday. First, they have what I like to call d- uh, decision fatigue. Um, so it's when you've made too many decisions throughout the week that were hard for you. And then by Saturday and Sunday, you just don't have the willpower to make a hard decision again. So you choose the easy option, which is ordering the large pizza and going to Dairy Queen. Um, so that that's kind of one of the ways that you just touched on is when you're in such a restrictive state all the time, it doesn't hold up because that weekend hits and you're too tired to, to stop yourself anymore. And, you know, people still want that to work. Unfortunately, it doesn't because what kind of circles back to our touch it talking about um, underreporting. You know, you can eat 1,200 calories a day all week, but if you eat 4,000 calories on Saturday, well, spread that out over the rest of the week and take a look at your actual deficit. It, you know, it's not, it's not a daily deficit. You want to look at it. I sometimes encourage my clients to look at it in terms of their weekly deficit. Um, you know, if I tell you to eat 2,000 calories a day, so you, you should have, you know, 14,000 14, calories over the course of your week, if you're... Uh, manipulating that around, does it still come out to 14,000 calories at the end of the week? Or is that Saturday and Sunday put you so far over, aren't actually in a deficit for that week? Um, So that's one of the things that happens when the diet is not sustainable, or even people do it for three weeks and then fall off on week four and five. And it's still the kind of the same thing. We look at that over the course of the month. Were you in a deficit over the course of this entire month? Uh, Or were you not because of those last two weeks or that last week? Um, so that's kind of one of the ways which you just touched on with the the pizza and the dairy queen. Um, and then the other way is that snowballing effect where, you know, you have a donut and you're like, well, I had a donut. I, this day is pretty much a waste. I might as well enjoy myself. Um, another way I often see it happen is, you know, um, somebody opens a box of Oreos and they're like, well, I had an Oreo. I had two. I really shouldn't, they didn't fit my macros. I can't fit them in. It makes me in the negatives. So I'm going to go ahead and eat this whole pack. Um, or my famous incident where, you know, uh, I had a bar of chocolate and I ate half of it. It was a giant king size bar of chocolate and I didn't want to get exposed for eating half of it. So I ate the entire thing, hoping that nobody would notice it was missing if I just got rid of the ass. Um, so it, it happens to everybody. And it's like I said, it's called the snowballing effect. And the important thing to point out to these people and to, uh, 
remind all of ourselves is that there's a big difference between an Oreo or a donut and an entire day of an excess of 1500 calories, right? A donut doesn't make you gain a pound. Um, an Oreo doesn't make you gain half a pound. Uh, you need almost 3000 calories for most people to gain a pound. So you really need to blow things out of the water to gain weight. Um, so it is recognizing, okay, the Oreo didn't fit my macros today, but I'm not doing that every day. I did it today or I did fit it in today. And it doesn't mean that I have to spiral out of control now. Um, there's, a, there's, it's getting yourself back on plan. And that's when a diet needs to be sustainable is when you want to get yourself back on plan. And when you're able to do that easily, um, then that's something that you can live with for the rest of your life. If, if you're so restrictive that you're falling off all the time or you're resetting or worst case is when I hear people say they're starting over, um, that's a sign that you're not on something that's going to work. We're never really starting over. We're starting where we are. So, um, it's a, it's big deal that it's sustainable. Now with that said, um, it's also, you know, being realistic about your goals and the balance that comes with that. So, you know, if you come in and you want a six pack and you want to see muscle striations and you want a bicep vein, then, then we can do that and we can put you in a really restrictive state and we can put you on enough activity during the week that that's going to happen. But you have to weigh that against your life and your, your goals at the time. And you have to recognize, I always, you know, I have a really cool infographic that I, um, I like to show people that it's called the cost of getting lean. And it shows you at each kind of stage of your body fat percentage, what are you giving up to get to that, that stage? And for, you know, a, like I said, a woman wanting a six pack, for example, you're looking at eight to 10 hours of sleep every night. Um, you're looking at an absolutely zero alcohol consumption. You're looking at weighing every single item that goes into your mouth and you're looking at 12 to 15 hours in the gym a week. Um, and so is that, you know, is that what you're willing to give up to get that six pack, um, is the question. If not, you're kind of setting yourself up for a diet that's not sustainable because you're going to fall on and off of that wagon because you really don't want that six pack. You don't want to give up what you need to, to have that. So you have to make sure in order to have a sustainable diet, that your goals are realistic. Um, otherwise, you're setting yourself up for disaster. And that's a conversation I have with a lot of people, in particular, my weight class athletes, like you kind of referenced before. If I have somebody who wants to move down a weight class, for example, we have a real heart-to-heart -heart about whether they're ready to do what they need to do to get down to that weight class. Um, otherwise, it's kind of about finding something that people can balance and live with for the rest of their life while also getting closer to what their goals are aesthetically on the scale and performance wise. Yeah, I think that's definitely super important and, you know, comes back to what we talked about that first episode that we, that we did together was, you know, having those tough conversations with people and kind of digging a little bit deeper when it comes to their goals and just seeing if they're kind of ready to make those, you know, certain, certain sacrifices, um, you know, people that are, you know, if you look at, you know, bodybuilders per se, getting ready for a show, like they're miserable. Like mm -hmm. I think that, you know, from a performance perspective, I don't think they're really putting up the weights that they were doing during training around showtime, you know, to get down to those, you know, striations in their, in their glutes, in their hand, you know, hamstrings, um, you know, that all comes at a cost. And, you know, I'm sure that there's, you know, social, 
things that they have to give up. That's passing on getting to, you know, potentially go out with friends and putting themselves in situations where it might be hard to, you know, pass up on the, you know, chicken and rice that they're having, um, you know, to get ready for like a bodybuilding show per se. I, I'm, I have no idea if bodybuilders still eat that stuff. That was just back in the day when <laughs> I used to pay attention to that. Um, <laughs> I used to watch just Jay Cutler videos and running, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it comes at a cost. Um, so I think, you know, understanding, you know, if you're in a, in a place where you're ready to, if you, if you need to make those sacrifices, I guess, if that's, you know, the, really what mm-hmm. the goal that you have at the end of the day, or, you know, it's about finding, you know, the, the right balance. Um, you know, I, I think thankfully I've gotten to a point now where, you know, I can, when I first started kind of tracking things is where I had to be perfect all the time. And I was really stressed about going to a restaurant that didn't have, you know, their nutrition information online. Um, if it wasn't like a chain restaurant, like it would really bug me out because I was like, I have no idea how to log this, but now, you know, I go and I just get as close as I can. And and that's just, that's just where it is. And if I'm over, then, you know, I'm a little over that day, but you know, I'll try to plan ahead, um, of that day and at least give myself a little bit of a buffer. Um, but you know, I no longer stress about it too much. And, you know, if I was, you know, an a-, a weight class athlete that was getting ready for um, a competition or something like that, then it might be a little bit different, you know, as I got closer, but you know, I'm not in that situation right now. And I want to have a, you know, a good balance of, you know, training well, making sure I'm fueling myself properly for my training. Um, but I also still want to enjoy time with, you know, my family and my friends. Um, and I think I finally kind of found, you know, what works for me and actually like truly being flexible with, with the way I'm doing things. Um, which has been, which has been helpful, but, you know, just like, I think anything else takes trial and error and finding what works. I think so. And, uh, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with your finding comfort in, you know, living your life and also sticking to your diet. And that's kind of where you've got to get to for those long-term, long-term goals. Um, if you want to stick with it forever, that's kind of where you have to be. And even weight class at class athletes, um, I myself, like I'm cutting right now. Um, and I'm kind of dealing with the consequences of cutting I'm finding myself injured a little bit more often or recovering a little bit slower for workouts. Um, I'm having to sleep a little bit more to make up for it as much as I can. Um, and I'm also passing up on eating out, you know, cause I don't know those, those macros exactly, but then once I'm through a competition and I'm back in kind of just a relaxed maintenance phase, I kind of resume normal life. I eat out. Um, I track to the best of my ability. Obviously I can't let my weight go by the wayside or else I'm back into a really intense cut, but it's kind of like you said, finding a balance between those things and your goals change from month to month and year to year. And it's adjusting your diet to correspond with those goals as you go. Yeah. I think that, kind of one of the points that you just made there on, you know, when you kind of go back to, you know, normal life, if you will, that you can't just, you know, let yourself go crazy either, because then that makes, you know, the next cut again, if that's for your sport where you're, we're getting to a certain weight class, you know, that just makes your job harder the next go around. Um, and it might even be, have to be more restrictive that next time. Um, and that kind of made me think of, you know, something that we wanted to talk about earlier, um, was, food challenges. So I know, um, like early on, there was a lot of, um, there were like the Lou wrong living challenges were like very famous at the gym used to do those all the time. And basically what I was seeing is that people would sign up for them. Um, 
and they would the night before, you know, it'd be kind of like a last supper sort of deal and kind of eating all the things that you wanted to eat. And then it was kind of being good for a few weeks, however long the challenge lasted. And then as soon as the challenge was over, it was like going crazy again. Um, so what are your general thoughts on, on food challenges and kind of the benefits or, you know, negatives of those and, um, just kind of that general idea yeah. of the challenge. So, um, I definitely saw the same things you saw. I still see the same things that, um, that come up. And I think that the, the difficulty with food challenges are, like you said, they're really short term and people tend to reward themselves before and after that food challenge. Um, and there's a couple issues here. First issue is that we choose food as a reward before and after our challenge. So, I really encourage my clients to not reward themselves with food. I always say, you're not a, you're not a puppy. You don't get a treat when you perform well. Um, reward yourself in other ways. For example, if you, you, you complete a certain task, whether it's a challenge or something else or whatever it may be, reward yourself with uh, some new gym clothes if you've been eyeballing it, a new pair of shoes, a new logging journal for whether it's your food or your training um, a new book that you've been waiting to read, whatever it may be, find items to kind of reward yourself. If that helps keep you motive, motivated, we talked a little bit about motivation and, and discipline last time. And I have no problem with throwing in every once in a while, those little extrinsic motivators for people. Um, so that's one of the, the issues kind of is that people tend to come out of these challenges and reward themselves with food, uh, which undoes a lot of what they just did, right? Especially when you're in a really deep caloric deficit um, to just pop out and indulge yourself in several um, excess calorie meals, you're going to do a lot more damage than if you were had just been maintaining for the last couple of weeks, which is kind of a whole nother topic that maybe we'll talk about another time. But the point is that it's not, it's not great practice. Um, and I don't like these challenges because a lot of large companies run these challenges and they, you know, they take your money and they have you buy these supplements and then they promise these things and they give you these workouts or they give you these, this food and you do it for the six weeks. And then when the challenge is over, poof, they're gone. Um, and you have nowhere to go with it. And, um, it kind of, those kind of challenges that don't offer support, they don't educate the, their members um, I don't really think that they're accomplishing much, right? They're giving you six weeks to do a kind of a task and then they're abandoning you. Um, so I was always really against these challenges and I didn't even like gyms running them until, uh, I had a bunch of people at, you know, our gym approach me and asked me for a challenge at the end of the summer. They wanted to get back in shape. So I, I felt it out. We ran this challenge and we ran it right within our gym. Um, really closely. And we met with the individuals beforehand. We talked to them. We ran a Facebook group. We did a lot of live chats. We did a lot of conversation and I saw success. Um, and I saw a lot of people, you know, some people weren't ready and, and that's kind of where they are, they're at. But I did see a lot of people within the group. I think we had about 30 people do it. And I saw a good portion of them. And I, I mean, I don't mean most of them. I probably mean about 10 to 12 losing weight at a, at a, the rate, a healthy rate and finding success and getting stronger in their workouts um, and losing inches off their waist. And, you know, it didn't work for everybody, but for that 30% of the people, it really worked well. And they, 
And I think the, the most important part of that challenge I discovered was not just giving them numbers and holding them accountable for six weeks. It was educating them. You know, what works for you? What doesn't work for you? Why is this important? Why is this not important? Why is sleep important? Why is water important? Why is it that we prescribe macros and where do we get them from? And why do we promote you to eat so much protein? Um, And why do you not just want to restrict yourself, like we talked about earlier, to a thousand calories a day? There was a lot of education happening in that group. And there was also a lot of support. They could reach out at any time and talk to people one-on-one. And when the, the challenge was over, we didn't disappear, right? We were still there. It was myself and another nutrition coach in the gym, both with our company. So they could come back. And, um, you know, I had about probably four clients out of that 30 who signed on with me and are still with me today. So it's kind of like when you coach a large CrossFit class, I always thought if I can make, you know, a difference for one person in this class and they've gotten better at the end of the class, then I've done a, a good job for today. And, you know, I, I try and help everyone and try and make sure everyone gets better and does a good workout. But if I really make a meaningful difference for one person, I'm happy with, with how I performed in that situation. So at the end of this challenge, you know, I had several people who had really positive experiences and who made meaningful changes and are continuing to, to keep those changes today. Now, we also had people who lost weight. And then after the challenge was over, you know, gained the weight right back or never kind of participated in the first place. So no, we didn't have a hundred percent success rate, but I did find those people who were finding success. So I looked back at the challenge and I saw really what I thought was the most important piece was that education piece, teaching them how to do this on their own and then showing them how to get the support they need afterwards if they want to keep going with this. Um, And we even had last two weeks we had exit interviews with each of them and talked to them about how to find that support and how to keep going with this, with this challenge. And um, one of the things that I decided at the end was not only does it need to be educational, but I really prefer what I call hard or soft challenges versus a hard challenge. So a hard challenge would be something like lose five pounds in five weeks. Um, That's a hard challenge, right? There's a really specific goal timeline. You're going to do that. Um, Nothing else matters. I like these soft challenges because for me, this is um, more of an educational piece. This is a challenge to look at yourself and learn about yourself and learn about your nutrition and learn what works for you. Um, This is a, I challenge you basically to become more aware of what you're eating and become more aware of what you should be eating and become more aware of how you can get there. Um, So this, that's kind of how I approach food challenges at this point is education. How are you going to sustain this afterwards? What get, let's get you to the point we find something that works for you and then let's teach you about why this is important and how you can keep doing it after the challenge is over. And then I make sure once it ends, um, I always let my challengers, if I run a challenge, use that money toward a nutrition uh, coaching relationship. So they can turn it in, they can take that money that they just spent and they can use it as a credit toward coaching afterwards if they decide they want to keep going. And I really like the challenges for another reason is I think that's a great test of working with me. Um, You know, it's got to be a good fit. So I like my challengers to think while they're working with me, you know, is she supporting me the way I like to be supported? Is she talking to me the way I like to be talked to? Um, Is she explaining things well to me? Uh, Do I get along with her? Do I feel comfortable telling her things about myself? You know, people have to tell me a lot about their lives. Um, so do they feel comfortable with me? So I think challenges 
are really good if they're done well. Um, and if they're used as like a way to either a dip your toes in and see if you want to start a coaching relationship with me or B um, learn a little bit more about your nutrition and see if it's something that you can kind of dial in your own, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I like the fact that, you know, one, you kind of really understand the importance of kind of providing that, that education for people and, and giving them the tools that they need. But then, you know, two, having kind of grown, you know, as a, as a coach there and, and not necessarily, you know, at first kind of not having the, you know, best thoughts on, on these food challenges, but then, you know, kind of, if I kind of tie it to, you know, physical therapy a little bit, if there's, you know, not everyone practices the same way that I do. And I don't agree with everyone, um, and on how certain things are done, but you can always kind of look for the common themes and like what works for, for certain things. So, you know, if there's another clinician who may do something completely different than the way I do things, but yet their, their patients love them, they still get good outcomes. You know, what is it that if I look at kind of at the very like base of what they're doing, like, what does it come down to? Like, you know, what's, you know, maybe they're just connecting really well with their patients. And, and that's something that, you know, that's the common theme between all of that, regardless of the interventions that they provide. Um, same thing with the food challenges, kind of looking at those and maybe not agreeing with, you know, the general layout of, you know, six weeks. And then, you know, after that, you know, I'm nowhere to be found, but like, food challenge provides a sense of, of community and accountability, um, and an opportunity for them, you know, to kind of have like a, a trial, um, of, of working with you as a coach. So I think kind of being able to, to find the good in kind of something that we didn't have maybe the, the best, um, outlook on originally is, is something that's, you know, says a lot about just, you know, you as a, as a coach and kind of like, as you've, as you continue to grow, um, kind of looking at that way. Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, and then I know that, even more so kind of, you know, that you're going to be running another one of these kind of soft challenges soon. Uh, so if you want to kind of give people a little bit of information on, on that and how they might be able to get involved with that, I think that would be really helpful. Uh, yeah. So I'm really excited. I'm running, um, what I'm calling the August, 2020 wellness challenge. Um, and it, it ties in really closely to what I just talked to you about. It's a lot about learning about wellness, overall. Uh, the challenge is going to be four weeks. So you're going to get a personalized macronutrient plan. You'll fill out a pretty extensive intake form um, so that I make sure that plan is really personalized to you uh, with the flexibility to adjust it if we need to, of course. Uh, along with that, we're going to have a Facebook group so that you get that sense of community that you just talked about. So you're accountable not only to me, but to the other members of the group. It's a place for interaction, uh, questions, things like that. And then along with that membership in the group, we're going to have things, I call them daily action items. So it's going to be things that you can do, little things daily that you can either just, maybe just educating yourself about the different types of fiber might be one day or hitting your water goal one day, little things that we're going to test out um, throughout the four weeks. And that gives you a little daily goals uh, to work towards. So uh, if you are interested in it, the cost is going to be $70. And like I said, you can use that money always towards a coaching relationship with me afterwards. Uh, you can always give me an email. Uh, it is kitchen2kilos at gmail.com. So pretty easy. Just my 
businessname at g.com. Uh, shoot me over an email. The challenge is starting August 1st. So far, we have a really good group in there. Uh, and I'm really excited to get it started. Yeah, I think that'll, you know, for anyone that's ever, you know, been on, you know, the brink kind of debating, you know, whether, you know, whether they've had, you know, trials of, of different, um, you know, diets in the, in the past, you know, things that, you know, maybe they've had short-term success, but they really haven't found that long-term success yet. And, you know, maybe you haven't tried, you know, tracking your, your macronutrients uh, before. I think, like you said, it's a good learning opportunity. And, and at the end of the day, even if it's, you know, not something that they continue with, at least they maybe, I think you kind of alluded to it earlier, but kind of um, build awareness on kind of some of their habits already. And, you know, just, even if it's at the end of the day, they realize, oh, wow, like, I wasn't eating nearly as much protein as I, as I thought, or eating as much or drinking as much water as I thought. Um, I think that's just even good takeaways to, to learn from, um, just that, you know, four week experience. And then if they find that it really works for them and then they wish to continue working with you, then that's, then that's fantastic. But, um, you know, kind of the focusing on, on education and just giving people tools at the end of the day is I think, you know, one of the major keys there. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of what I hope to get out of it. Um, I know, like I said, I won't have a, I don't always have a hundred percent success rate with everyone, but um, I, I give everyone kind of the tools that they need. And if I can get a, a small group of people to, to utilize it and take advantage of the time, um, then it's usually a successful challenge at the end of the day. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll definitely, um, you know, put a little, a link to your, you know, Instagram and then, uh, your email on the show notes, just so that people can send you an email if they're interested in that. Um, like, like always, as we found before, we didn't get to touch on everything, but, uh, you know, I think that's, that's a good thing. Cause we usually just get going on some conversations and just go with it. Um, so still two topics that we'll definitely touch on at a later date than they seem to kind of not go well with each other, but definitely, uh, alcohol and then, uh, nutrition for performance. So two things that don't sound like they go together, but, uh, that's definitely something that I think we, uh, cause we'll, we could probably talk a good amount on that stuff too. So that'll probably be its own episode on its own in the future. Um, but thanks again for, for hopping on Jess, always a, a pleasure getting to chat with you about this stuff. You know, nutrition is definitely something that's, I think very, not only I find it super interesting, you know, not, maybe not everyone does, but I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, carryover, not only to the things that, I, you know, from behavior change, things like that for stuff I do as a physical therapist. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of it's really just the foundation on, you know, if you're someone that's really into your training, um, you want to make sure that your, your nutrition is kind of also a piece of that puzzle too. Um, but if, if, if you can, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to link this in the show notes, but just kind of telling people where they can find you as far as like on Instagram, I know you already shouted out your email address, but, um, I guess best place to find you on online. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm pretty good at being active on my Instagram or I try to be, um, so that is at, at kitchen to kilos, K I T C H E N T O K I L O S, um, on Instagram, or, um, you can also find me, um, my personal page, which is J Gilmore K2K. And that usually links you pretty easily to my, my business page. Either one of those things work. Um, or you can always email me, like I mentioned earlier, and I know Mike will, will link it below. I'm pretty responsive to all that stuff. So if you ever have questions or you want to join up the challenge, 
let me know. And uh, thank you, Mike, for having me today. Always a pleasure. It was fun again, geeking out with you on some of this stuff. For sure. Uh, definitely look forward to doing it again in the future. Um, and just thank you all again for listening to today's episode. Um, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening with so that you can keep up with all the content that I'll continue to put out. Um, but otherwise that's all for today and I'll catch you all in the next episode.